Welcome back to the New Republic podcast, episode number 12. Can't believe we've done 12 so far. My name is Nemi Yassini, CEO and co-founder of New Republic and also your, your guide through this podcast where we're going to talk about everything to do with experimentation, personalization and that little ugly word CRO. Uh, like always, I'm joined with my wonderful co-host and co-founder, Stacey Isaac. You want to say hi, Stace? Hi there. Hi, everyone. And this time around, we're very lucky to have uh, a wonderful colleague join us from GoGo Digital. If you don't know, the New Republic is part of a, a group, a membership group called GoGo Digital. And we'll explain in a second what that means. Joining us is Colin Crowley from GoGo Digital, all the way from Canada. Hi, everybody. So I thought let's kick this off with maybe Colin. I know we just said your name and where you're from. Maybe you can give a bit of an intro into who, who Go Group is. Sure. Thanks for having me on. I'm really happy to be here. Go Group Digital, I always say, does two things. Um, primarily, we as a company build and optimize international test and learn programs. But as you said earlier, we also are a network of leading experimentation agencies around the world. So we're always sharing business and strategic know-how as a membership group. Now, when you say membership group, uh, most people, when they think, you know, New Republic Go Group, they think that we've been acquired by Go Group. That's not the case. What, is, what does it mean by a membership group? By being a member of the Go Group, you basically tap into all of the strategic know-how of other leading experimentation agencies around the world. So Go Group Digital is headquartered out of Germany. Um, we are in no way the owner of any of our member, uh, member groups, but uh, we definitely come together both digitally and offline to learn how to build better businesses, but also how to share strategic know-how when it comes to experimentation. I'd like to jump in there as well, because it's go groups, a fantastic opportunity that we've had as New Republic. And just to go a little bit deeper into that, we've been part of this partner network for a couple of years now, if I'm not mistaken. And what was really interesting about grow group was they really only had one leading CRO or experimentation business in each part of the world. So there's, as Colin was saying, there's Germany, there's um, the UK, there's Canada, and we were actually invited to be the representative business from Australia. And there's only one CRO business or optimization business in Australia, and we were chosen and selected to be that one. So that was a great honor for us. Absolutely. And because of that, there's no competition. So it allows us to have this incredible knowledge share with some of the leading um, CRO businesses around the world, which I, I think has really helped us get ahead of the game and ahead of other consultancies or agencies doing CRO because we are tapping into some of the most brilliant minds around the world and their programs and their network. And, you know, so it's something that we can enjoy both Nima and I, we, we do a, a yearly trip and we do a summit, which is really interesting where we meet for three days and we have an incredible knowledge share but also open to our staff. So they have access to talk to other strategists. They can talk to other designers. You know, if we have a, a new product or something that we're kicking off and we want to brainstorm that, we can tap into this global network and, and see who's done it well and who has had issues and really mitigate those risks and, and you know, set ourselves up for success. So it's been an incredible opportunity for us at New Republic, and I think it really has helped us keep ahead of the game. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, thank you very much. 
And, you know, I'd only add to that, that it goes both ways. Um, we can bring in different agencies from around the world, but as you pointed out, Stacy, it's really about bringing in who's really excellent, what they do or what can something, what can they bring that's new to the table? So uh, we were really impressed with um, the design and UX capabilities and the business customer centric thinking that you guys bring. And um, yeah, it's been a match made in heaven so far. Colin, just to just to dramatize uh, some of the brands that Go Group work with in their independent offices, where, can you give some examples just to kind of give an example of like the kinds of companies they work with? Yeah, absolutely. So we work with large international organizations that have test and learn programs around the world. So you'll see us working with uh, car brands like BMW, Mercedes, but you'll also see us working with uh, tech companies like uh, Spotify, Square. We also have worked with many large furniture uh, manufacturers. Um, I wish I could throw out a lot more names, but unfortunately we're bound by uh, pretty serious NDAs, but I'm proud of the big brands that we've been able to help out. Wonderful. Okay. So let's get on with our podcast now that we know where everyone's from. I wanted to start this because I think the interesting thing that GrowGriff brings to the table and why I wanted the podcast with you, Colin, is that you guys get to see the world uh, and the experimentation program across different countries and, uh, and also different brands. And I was really keen to understand from your point of view around, you know, and, and you guys recently put out a, a white paper around the cultural differences around experimentation. And I was keen to kind of get your, you know, 30 second take on what are the, some of the trends that you're seeing around the countries and the experimentation programs that you're seeing across some of these brands? Yeah, you know, and I always like to take one step backwards and look at it and say, okay, well, have we reached a point where everyone finally acknowledges that experimentation drives uh, incredible business value? And fortunately, we see that time and time again with, you know, researcher papers by Forrester, uh, new research by McKinsey, you name it. It's just uh, very clear that having a successful test and learn program creates business value, aka uh, bottom line enhancements. So this white paper that you're referring to wasn't about like, okay, does the experimentation help your business? No, we, we moved it forward and said, okay, we know that experimentation is going to help your business. So what creates a healthy experimentation culture or culture of experimentation for your business? So what, what should you look for at your company and inside your program to be successful? And that was the, the, the starting point for the white paper. And basically we came up with a hypothesis that said, okay, all right, um, if you have the following four, what we call success pillars, you're going to see faster business growth than say a company that has worse, uh, not as high of a performance in these success pillars. And we tested it. We asked, you know, gosh, I think it was something like 600 respondents uh, across Germany, the UK, uh, most of Western Europe, uh, United States, uh, Canada, uh, New Zealand, Australia, and so on. And um, the results were very clear. Um, not only did we see like cultural differences, uh, which I want to get into, but we also saw that if you had a great test and learn program and you had high scores in these success pillars, you were growing quickly. But if you didn't, you saw that not only would you not be growing, uh, well, you certainly weren't growing as fast, but you would, uh, you could even in fact just be moving still or backwards. Still or backwards. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't prove that they're going backwards, but I could certainly uh, say you're not showing any characteristics of a growth company. So Australians are quite competitive. <laughs> how are we faring against the rest of the world? No, no, I love it. Cause everyone's asking like, okay, how did we do? 
Um, everybody's different. Now, the one thing that I can say, Australia, that's sorry. I got to cut you off. That's like saying, Oh, I love my kids equally. Come on. There's always one that you love more. Well, you know, I think in, in the case of, I remember it coming down really in a tight race between, uh, North America and Germany, but we also saw relatively strong overall performance by the United Kingdom. So I'd say you, you really are trying to cherry pick, you know, who's a winner among, in, in terms of like, okay, overall healthiest. But, you know, I think what I'm trying to get at here is that all of the major markets showed fast growth when they had uh, high uh, success pillar scores, but you saw some very distinct uh, differences emerge. Like for instance, in Germany, it, the, the, the culture of trust is abysmal compared to the culture of trust in Australia. But the overall maturity of the test and learn market in Australia is far behind that of Germany or the United Kingdom or say North America. So, you know, you're going to see areas where there's lots of strengths and there's our, there, there are weaknesses. I saw also, Colin, you mentioned that the Canadians and Americans um, had way too much reliance on tool fuel. Can you explain what that means? Yeah, I love this because, you know, I think a lot of the uh, North American companies, you know, there's a lot of tech coming out of, you know, Silicon Valley and, and the States and, so you're going to see many, many tools being built out there. And as a result, backed by a lot of money, these tools are done a very great job of convincing companies that if they just purchase their tool, guess what? They'll have an amazing test and learn program. Those customer-centric ideas are just going to bubble up to the surface and it'll just be a, a process of machine learning and AI and uh, uh, data centricity that will turn them from a slow growth company to a high growth one. And... Um, you know, what we find over and over again, and, and the white paper just validated this, was that there's too much uh, reliance on these tools that need to have clicks, visits, sessions, and much more, a huge market, uh, you know, that, the, the, for instance, North America has, in order to really begin to share and, and reveal those insights. Um, and I think what's happened is that a lot of American uh, companies have become addicted to this tool fuel um, where they're not taking uh, enough time to sit back and understand the customer um, outside of just their session, uh, outside of, you know, whatever analytics program that they're using at the time. So that's why I love how, you know, our North American partner took a lot of what the Germans do really well, which is mixed methodology experimentation, a lot of um, uh, neuroscience. Um, they brought in an enormous uh, product suite that helped, I think, our North American partner add to their understanding of, say, analytics um, to gain a better understanding of the overall customer and the customer experience for their clients. Got it. So basically you're saying they're looking at the number of clicks and they're looking at views, but a lot of them weren't going deeper, whereas our North American or Canadian or North American partner has gone deeper into looking into the behavioral science and, and other factors as well as just clicks and views. Absolutely. And it, it just pays off huge. Not, and I'll tell you why it pays off. It's not only that you just get a better insight into like the customer, but it speaks to the C-suite in a way that CRO never will or currently does not. So good luck if you're going to try and uh, explain to, you know, the C-suite why experimentation needs a bigger budget uh, than it did last year by just relying on, you know, what, again, these tool fuel uh, characteristics. But if you're coming there explaining 
how your behavioral science program uncovered after speaking, guess what, to real customers again and again and again to figure out why they're behaving the way they are and how you used experimentation to validate uh, changes that would help the, the problems that they expressed to you, then you get you captivate the, the C-suite. You're telling stories about their customers that you just unfortunately can't seem to glean from uh, your traditional CRO uh, experience. So Colin, I'm sure we're going to get into it a little bit further ahead, but can you just give us a, a top level summary of this white paper? What were the four pillars? Because I, I read it and I found it super interesting and basically all of the um, research, as you said, each each area or country had different strengths and different weaknesses in these four pillars. So could you just tell everybody what were those four pillars that you, you did all the research by? Yeah, thanks for uh, diving into the report and seeing all those differences. It, again, it's just so easy to see fast versus slow, but it is important to look down deeper and see what's driving those um, changes. So what we hypothesized was that you needed to see first and foremost, you know, I take that back. I don't want to say like it has to, one's more important than the other. I always like to explain this as, you know, a person, like a person's face, you know, you can't have beautiful eyes and, and no nose and, and consider it a face. So it's the same thing with our success pillars. You have to have all four of these success pillars in order to be successful. You just can't be necessarily strong at one and, and completely neglect the other. So the one that I like to start off with is culture of trust. I think having a culture of trust inside of your company is critical to being and uh, to driving growth. And that's because you need to embrace change and with change comes risk. And if you're not uh, trusting your team and trusting the genesis of how information is created, then you really will not be able to move the needle. You'll be playing around the margins when it comes to your optimization program. The other one that I'm looking for is how customer centric are you? There are so many metrics, so many numbers that you can tweak and, and uh, optimize. But if you're not coming up with a solution to a genuine customer problem, then forget it. Your optimization program, your test and learn program, whatever you want to call it, your, your, the healthiness of your company, I believe, is, is threatened because you're not aiming to help the, your, your customer. Well, it seems intuitive, but it's amazing how many companies we speak to and, and we just straight up ask them, when's the last time you spoke to one of your customers? And you'd be surprised. It's very rare that someone raises their hand and says, oh, well, you know, last week I had, you know, four phone calls or, you know, I was in a focus group or did a panel. So we're really expecting to see healthy, fast growth companies have a strong customer centricity behind them. The other one that we're looking for is, is there a business purpose, a clarified business purpose? This can also be explained as a, a North Star metric. Are you advancing towards a goal that has been communicated successfully across your company and organization? If not, you expect just to move at a slower pace and expect to see um, less than impressive uh, overall gains uh, by your test and learn program. Sure, you may have some winners or insights as we like to call them, but if you're not moving and communicating your progress towards a goal, then unfortunately you won't be one of those fast growth companies. The last one that I'm looking for is executive buy-in. If you are a single operator shuttled down to some basement suite and given the greatest tool on the planet, but do not have executive buy-in, then it sounds obvious, but you're just not going to see 
a large amount of growth. That, of course, is a bit of an exaggeration. It doesn't matter if you're in the basement or even in the penthouse. If you do not have the buy-in by the C-suite or uh, executive leadership for your test and learn program, then expect major uh, troubles. And I think many of your listeners are already know this. You know what we've seen time and time again is companies will spend an enormous amount of time and money building incredible uh, solutions to real customer-centric problems, but because no one has uh, established a clear uh, hierarchy or communication uh, methodology, I don't know what you want to call it inside their company, great ideas never make it even into development. You know, we've seen cases where a company will, great, uh, will see a, a wonderful solution, but then their agile dev team will tell them, you know, sorry, we're just not going to be able to put that in, you know, for until like, you know, three quarters from now. So again, uh, an executive buy-in uh, score tells us how much air cover will the program have, how much uh, lateral communication will take place between one program or sorry, one department to another. It provides us a great window into, again, um, how uh, successful this program will be. To get back to it, those are the four success pillars that uh, we, we hypothesize that you need to have those four things. And sure enough, it was very clear. Companies that scored well uh, across those um, pillars were remarkably faster than others. Oh, and your trust comment. I'm, I'm really interested in that. Like, I don't think, is it that the people running the programs feel like they're going to get fired or is it trust that they're not going to get fired or is it trust in the executive teams that people are going to make mistakes, but they're trying to make the right types of mistakes? Like what is, trust is such a big word. What does that actually mean in, in real nuts and bolts? I think, you know, we, we often hear like the highest paid person in the room's opinion. Um, so maybe I could start there. You know, the idea is that will you're going to suggest something that is going to expose you as someone unique and different. You're going to come in with a different point of view. You're going to, in some way, be very vulnerable. And a company that doesn't allow you to be comfortable being vulnerable by proposing an alternative path forward or alternative solution to an existing problem, then you're not going to have the courage or the confidence to A, ideate um, in that direction or, and B, propose it, in, especially to an executive team that may not understand what it is that you're doing or have time for you. So we're really looking for how well or democratized uh, is a program when it comes to allowing anyone to share suggestions. It doesn't mean, of course, you jump on every single suggestion and, and begin to build a test around it. It just means you, or your company encourages everyone to uh, be vocal about how uh, you may be able to solve a customer-centric program. And great ones here. This is not just you know instinctual or based on your salary. There, you need to bring data to the table to back up uh, why it is you think uh, – that the solution will help out. But again, the starting point is that you know that you'll be listened to and if your idea has merit, it will see the light of day. Very interesting. I think also it, it talks to the maturity of each of the countries. Like I know in this one particularly, the UK and North America scored really well. So there's obviously, it's a more mature market. There's obviously more people doing optimization and testing. And so they, they scored a lot higher. So they felt empowered to take risks. There was a quote that you had from, you know, the CEO of Amazon. So obviously they take a lot of risks and they're one of the fastest growing businesses out there. Whereas we in Australia scored a lot lower 
and a lot of companies said they didn't feel empowered to take those risks. And I guess that talks to the fact that, you know, it is a bit newer and it's not a mature market. So a lot of these people within these businesses are probably presenting, presenting stuff to their executive team or C-suite trying to get buy-in and maybe they haven't heard of optimization or CRO or testing. So trying to get that executive buy-in is really challenging and, and therefore, you know, they don't feel empowered to be able to take those risks even though you've got data to validate and, you know, could possibly have a really strong performing program, I guess, without that buy-in, it makes it a little bit difficult. Yeah. Yeah. I'm going to flip it around and ask you to, what is it that you took away from the the briefing report or the white paper that you thought was notable about APAC or Australia? Well, I, I think it was different and I'm sure we're going to go through each of the pillars, but definitely um, in terms of the, the culture of trust, that's what my take home from it was, you know, and I guess, as I said, with America, and the UK being so much more mature and so many more businesses doing testing. It's like, you know, Nima always talks about, you know, SEO or SEM and, you know, how, you know, years ago people didn't even know what that was. And that's just like, you know, everybody does it nowadays. And I think that in Australia, we're in that market where there's those businesses that are mature and they know what CRO is and they know what testing is and they have great confidence to do and they know the incredible impact it can have on, on your bottom line and ROI, but um, there's a lot of companies who say CRO and they don't even know what that is. So I think in this particular culture of trust, I could understand why many people within businesses in the marketing departments didn't feel, you know, were empowered to make those risks because obviously that they were maybe working in a business that was slower moving, but also didn't have the, you know, buying from the C-suite or executive team, maybe because they didn't know what CRO was. So definitely in more mature markets, you know, I guess people within those businesses felt a lot more empowered to take risks because they knew that the payoff could be huge and they could be delivering incredible results for their businesses. I mean, if I had to put my two cents worth in, there's a lot of companies in Australia doing experimentation. So the good thing is, is there's people doing it. I think the problem with the people doing it is that it's seen as a tactical activity because in a lot of cases, it started by someone in the digital team or the website team or the analytics team. And they kind of had this idea around this could help us figure out certain things, certain problems. The issue is, is that that individual is using metrics to do with their part of the business rather than the metrics that matter at the board level. And so I think maturity is interesting. The more I talk to people, I've realized maturity in Australia, I can't talk about the rest of the world. It's a very insular word. So people define themselves as mature. They say, oh, we've been running experimentation for the last three years. We're mature. Or they might say, oh, you know, we, we have like, we, we send out like four to five tests per month or we have 15 tests per month. Therefore we're mature. So one's talking about maturity in number of years. One's talking about maturity in process it's such an insular word. And I think that's the problem with the programs in Australia is that the companies running are very insular. They don't compare themselves to other brands. Um, They don't really understand what the word maturity means. It's a very, um, what they define as maturity is based on what they think is mature uh, or how long they've been doing something. So I think the biggest issue is that it, it does not have executive understanding and the executives are really focused on customer experience. They're familiar with UX principles of qualitative research, you know, focus groups and so forth. So they get that and they use that. And that's why you've got the, you know, the CX head sitting at the executive level, whereas there is no one with the optimization head sitting at the board table because it doesn't have a place yet. And so I think we're really far behind and we are the same place where SEO and SEM was 
about 10, 15 years ago when, you know, I'd go out and talk about Google and people would say, what's a Google? And then you have to say, remember AltaVista, you know, AltaVista, it's like that, but it's better. And then you'd have to explain what SEO is. And now you can walk into a cafe and ask the coffee owner, like the guy who owns the cafe, what do you think SEO is? And he'll tell you straight away what it is. So I think, it's young, it's new. I think the level of right, the more e-commerce grows in this country, the more experimentation will grow. And I and I think one other thing is is that there is not enough tool fuel as you talk about in Australia. That there's not enough technologies talking about experimentation. Therefore, there's not enough awareness in the market. So that's my two cents worth. I, I remember with one of our clients as well. Um, it was interesting where he, he worked for a very large automotive firm. And he came to one of our private executive dinners. And I remember him saying that, you know, he'd kind of heard about it, but he didn't really know what Sierra was. And then suddenly he was at this table with like 10 other, you know, guests from quite large companies. And he was kind of blown away by the mature programs that these businesses had. And I think at that point he said, like, that was when I really understood that this was a thing. And it wasn't just a thing. It was like a really, really successful thing that could really drive incredible results for my business. Anyway, he left, ended up leaving that company and he moved to a um, large health insurance provider. And at that point, he had total confidence in CRO and programs. But I think the difference was he was suddenly in an environment where he had a lot of buy-in from the team and executives and he's been doing incredibly well. Like, so he kind of spearheaded this program with the new company and has been seeing incredible results. But I think firstly, it was him having confidence to know that CRO really can deliver incredible results. And secondly, to have that buy-in from the team. And obviously now working in an environment where people know what optimization is, they know what testing is, they know the power of it. And he's been able to do a, a really great job. But maybe in that older company, without that knowledge or buying from you know people around him, he wouldn't have had the same success. Yeah, and I think that's why it's important to always distinguish. I mean, if you look at the companies in Australia's performance when it comes to uh, culture of trust actually scored relatively high, but you saw with slow growth companies incredibly low, like one of the lowest scores we saw uh, across the port. Then you you jump back up and you look at executive buy-in, and you're Sazy, you're right. I mean, the executive buy-in levels in Australia are some of the worst, both in terms of slow and fast growth. I mean, just for reference, like the the fastest growth companies in Australia that we spoke to reported less like we're half as uh, strong as the slowest growth companies in um, say for instance uh, developed countries like germany ireland the uk and so on so you, you you're right i think you have to have strong scores across them all of the pillars but um, executive buy-in means a lot because it does speak to the idea that the, the company understands the importance of your test and learn program so do you think that's the primary issue within the test and test and learn cultures in Australia is it, is it the like if, if there's anything we could tell people on this podcast to, to focus on is it the executive buying the primary one well you know I don't like to belittle executives I mean these this this is not just you know oh my boss doesn't get it um, I think we also have to think harder about the way that we're talking about our work of course there are going to be organizations where upper management is just set in their ways and you know good luck trying to build a, a relatively innovative uh, program like you know a, a experimentation one inside that kind of organization but you know I think it's more if you really want to influence the, your executives um, the best way to do that is to, take a hard look in the mirror and make sure that you are building tests that help move the company's primary metric. Like I talked about that. Are you 
moving and advancing the company towards that North Star goal? Do you even know what that North Star metric is? Um, could you articulate the business purpose um, that is, uh, say, the common denominator for all of your tests inside of your program? If you can easily explain, because you know we all know there are lots of different great tests that we can run, but if you can easily explain why, you know, even though these are two good tests, you're going to go with you know version A over version B because it's more closely aligned to the business goal of the company, then I think you've got a problem. And I would encourage everybody to make sure that they first understand how well they can speak the executive language, um, how well they can correlate their ideation back to customer-centric problems that have been reported by the customers. And then if they feel like they've got the data that is going to help show how the company is going to move closer to its North Star metric or become healthier overall, and that executive doesn't want to listen and you can't get by in there, then you need to leave that company. That is not a good and healthy company um, versus thinking that, you know, wait a second, um, how come these executives don't get conversion rate optimization? You know, why don't they understand that they need to invest more in this particular tool? Like, I don't think that any executive in and outside of experimentation responds well to that, that line of, you know, thinking. So does that mean that you're hiring if they quit their job that they can come work with? Go that, <laughs> absolutely. Abs- absolutely. Right. Okay. Just wanted to be sure of that. So Colin, going back to the, the four pillars, there was the business goal, which was one of the first pillars that you did um, some research on. So it was good test and learn programs, understand testing services, a business purpose and need. So can you talk a little bit more about that? So what, what was the data and the research findings for the test and learn programs for business goals? Right. This is an interesting one because overall we saw both with fast growth companies and slow growth companies that the health of this particular success pillar was relatively low. I don't think now you did see substantial differences between slow and fast growth companies across the world when it came to this particular metric, but in terms of like how successful or healthy uh, the culture of trust pillar was or uh, customer centricity and so on, this particular pillar showed that I think all organizations struggle to be able to articulate to the point where they can say this particular solution is going to advance us closer to our business goal and this one isn't. So this is a tricky one. Only in that I think that even the C-suite probably struggles with understanding what is our flywheel? What is going to, if we do this, what will create the most amount of value? And because that there is, I think, this question mark behind that metric, uh, the confusion sort of, or the confusion, um, I guess, radiates throughout the organization and you get relatively low scores. But yeah, if you do not really know what it is that you're trying to achieve, then you're going to be really testing in lots of different locations, trying to basically find a purpose. You're, you're going to be looking for a huge insight that's going to hopefully catapult or catalyze or revolutionize your, your test and learn program. So um, when you don't know where it is you want to go, you're just going to spend more time. And in fact, you may just stay lost uh, trying to help a company out. Um, whereas if you know precisely what is the North Star metric, all of your metrics uh, can fall under that one and you can see how you can move forward in a very healthy way that I think speaks to the mindset of an executive. It seems so obvious when you say it, but I, I've seen firsthand 
those businesses that don't have that North Star metric. Like, but if you think about it, if you have that overarching goal and you're, you're going towards that business goal, then of course you're going to set yourself up for success. And I know that we've seen that sometimes when we've spoken to, you know, potential clients who are maybe doing in-house and they say, look, no, we've got it, we're doing it. But they, and they're doing a lot of velocity, high velocity, a lot of testing, but where they're lacking is they don't have that Northern Star metric so that they don't know what they're testing or why they're testing. So they might have huge velocity, but they're not really getting to that overarching business goal, which is, which is tricky. Whereas I think for us, when, when I know our approach is definitely, we start with that, you know, big strategic piece at the beginning, which is okay, like, let's present this strategy to the client. What is our overarching goal? And then any testing that we do, you know, for that six or 12 or 24 month period is also, we always come back and say, right, is this coming back to our Northern Star metric? Is this basically working towards that business goal? And I think that also strengthens executive buying because obviously those KPIs or those objectives or targets, are, 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 you know, start from the top. And so if your testing program is answering those questions, then I think you've got far more, you know, ability to get executive buy-in than those companies who are just kind of testing, you know, everything and nothing. And so that might be showing small results for that particular test, but they're not actually answering that business goal. Yeah. And can you imagine if you walked into your boss's, you know, corner office and you were able to not only uh, diplomatically highlight that there wasn't a North Star metric, but that you had uh, maybe devised one and could present data to show why your solutions were driving the company closer to reaching that 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 goal. I think all of management wants to hear solutions. They are they've got plenty of problems. Yeah, I really feel like this is a great opportunity for anyone that says like, oh, my company doesn't have a, a North Star metric, or we don't know what our business goal is. Well. I encourage you to figure out what it could be. Like you probably are a very smart person that knows how to use data in meaningful ways. And I think any good company would love to hear your solutions to their problems because that's very valuable. I think I think that's half the challenge though, Colin. Like I, I know a lot of companies, very big companies who who really do not know what their North Star is or they don't work on North Star. They pivot so much. The concept of a North Star is just too difficult. Yeah. So are you saying that the companies like that shouldn't have an experimentation program? It's not built for them? I think, yeah, you, you just have to be realistic about what you're going to be able to achieve inside that kind of company. Um, if you're going to go bang your head in the wall, wondering why your CRO program isn't being respected or getting budget and so on, I, I think you, you do need to take a look at that company. But this is something that I wanted to raise, you know, at your podcast is I personally believe that Australia has an incredible potential to leapfrog over many of these other more mature markets. And I think it starts by solving some of these problems that maybe executives just historically aren't able to solve because they're, you know, they're dealing with many, many issues. So if you were able to look at as an experimentation strategist, a set of data and come away with a solution that would help the company articulate a North Star metric, I think you would see your executive buy-in scores skyrocket in Australia. There's a level below this. And I think that drives a lot of the problem with North Star is the majority of times when people talk about a North Star, they generally think of an acquisition target. So they generally think of it as a sales function. And one of the common things that I do when I walk into any new organization is talk about how experimentation can facilitate at different points in the business. So whether it's an operational efficiency, whether it's, uh, you know, you're an e-commerce 
company and it's not about increasing conversions but actually reducing the cost of say product returns yeah right so operational efficiencies and this is the i think that's the biggest trouble is that whenever people think north star it's usually a it's tied to the the bottom line pnl revenue growth target rather than operational efficiencies cost efficiencies uh, customer satisfaction, NPS scores, they're not tied. Like they think uh, North Star is one, there is one factor of a North Star and usually most companies are focused on growth. That's where I think the challenge is. Looking at the pra- the programs around the world, is that a common problem or, or are organizations around the world looking at North Stars in different ways to I think Australians are? I, I think, you know, companies around the world, uh, have similar challenges to articulating what their North Star metric is. I don't think this is necessarily an Australian one, but I do believe that you've got to think uh, harder about why wouldn't an operational efficiency metric be able to affect the North Star metric? I mean, let's take, you know, I hate to do it, but everyone does. um, Amazon, they know what their North Star metric is. It doesn't mean every single test is just to convert, you know, to click uh, buy uh, the buy button, excuse me. They apply the practice of experimentation to gain efficiencies in delivery, uh, logistics, uh, customers, uh, service, you name it, because they know that if they can get their costs down lower, then that allows them to buy more, which again allows them to lower their costs. So they're looking at experimentation as I believe it should be looked at as a service, as a skill set, as a practice, not a, not as the end all. You, the goal isn't to be to have a great experimentation program. The, the goal is that your experimentation program creates a better company. Yeah, and, and it was interesting that you said the findings were that companies were twice as likely to have fast growth if they had a business goal. So that was interesting. Yeah, I, I think about it. If you're if you're lost in the woods, I'm sorry, you're. If you don't know where you're going to go, you're going to have a very hard time getting there. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Uh, Colin, I, I'm really interested. Number one, really key factor is, did we do better than New Zealand? <laughs> <laughs> In the category of Australia, you outperformed New Zealand. Okay. So, okay, we've, we've beaten one person. That's good. That's good. Because they beat us at rugby, so at least we've got this on them. Good. <laughs> Good on you, Aussies. So if there is a country that we could use as our North Star, as an example of the trajectory that we should be guiding towards, is it UK, is it Germany, is it North America? I think it's a a toss-up between, listen, this is my perspective. You can read into the data, but I I think it's, you could make an argument that what you'd like to do is emulate a lot of what we see coming out of Germany. The reason I say that is because they are incredibly successful at getting around the problem of having not a terrible amount of traffic compared to, say, companies in North America. And, and historically, programs yeah. have relied on traffic, right, to to validate their the their hypothesis. So, um, yeah, I, I would say that yeah, when it comes to overall health, um, there's a lot to be learned from emulating markets like Germany. Now. That said, North America scores very well when it comes to executive buy-in, and they do incredibly well when it comes to data analysis. So I think there is a lot of benefit from you know looking at what they're doing right there. But, you know, and that isn't to take away from the UK, which was just healthy all around. 
The only thing I can say for about the UK is that they're maybe a slight bit of risk averse. So whereas, you know, I, yeah. I think experimentation can be used, you, you know, this is one of my favorite topics is, you know, just to, to really innovate and optimize product experience or you know, more product related experimentation. And I think they're stuck, maybe stuck's too harsh of a word, but I think there's too much optimization. And that's why we love uh, working with our partner in the UK, conversion.com, because, you know, these guys are always encouraging to swing for the fences. I mean, they're, they're working with Facebook and they're proposing to Facebook, you know, painted door exercises, um, their uh, tests, excuse me, they're, they're really pushing it when it comes to like what you should get out of an experimentation program than what you see other uh, agencies uh, recommending in, in the United Kingdom. So pro, not crow. Is that what you're saying, Colin? <laughs> well, I, I think we're already very good at crow. And uh, even though we, we complain that everyone does, you know, why, don't, why doesn't the, the coffee shop guy know what CRO stands for? I think many companies do know what CRO is. Now, whether or not it matches our definition, I'm not so sure about it. But I do think that the industry and many companies still haven't put together uh, or connected the dots that experimentation can build better products. Um, it doesn't just have to be um, exploiting a existing uh, product. Colin, that's it. That's all the time we have. Thank you so much for joining us. It's been absolutely delightful. But before you go, we've been talking about this nebulous document. Where can people get this white paper can they contact us and we can distribute it yeah or do you want them to bug you no absolutely well i encourage everybody if you'd like to learn a little bit about us uh, you can visit our website gogroupdigital.com um of course uh, i hope you'll share my information with anyone that's interested um yeah and um you can find the report there under our uh, publication evolutionary to epic um but since you are a strategic partner they could also reach out to you and you are able to give it to them directly 100 percent um, so Colin, thanks for your time. Really appreciate your insights, really valuable insights. And it's also great to know that we beat New Zealand. I think that's the, <laughs> that's the takeout for everyone that's listening. Uh, Stacey, as always, thank you. You've been a great co-host. And also today, I think you've really stepped in and asked some questions that I hadn't uh, thought about. So I really appreciate it. Thank you guys. And thank you, Colin. It's been great to chat to you as always. Yeah. Thank you, Stacey. Thank you, Nima, for having me on. A lot of fun. Not at all. Thanks again. So guys, uh, my name's Nima, CEO and co-founder of New Republic. Thanks for joining the podcast. As always, if you've got any comments, there's an ill email at the bottom of the uh, podcast station that you're using. You can actually email us. And if you do want to uh, the white paper again, use that same email. Just send out a request and I'll, I'll be sure to get one into your hands. As always, thank you and see you in episode 13. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.